Hey legends, welcome back to the ED Jam. This week I'm chatting to Dr. Nikki Minto. Nikki is an SRMO doctor um, and she's working in um, one of the big tertiary hospitals in pediatrics. We're going to be chatting about bronchiolitis. Now we're chatting about bronch from severity scales, mild, moderate to severe, and what we should be looking out for as clinicians, um, from diagnosis to treatment as well. If you're a peds doctor, a nurse, um, even a student, I really think this episode is going to be for you. And also if you're a paramedic out there as well, um, what to look out for when you get on scene and um, deal with um, paediatric patients that could have bronchiolitis. Now, Nikki, welcome to the podcast tonight. We're chatting about bronchiolitis. Yes. Is that correct? I see a lot of that. Yeah. You see a lot of that. Cool. That's good. That's why I've got you on here, hopefully. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> You're like, no, we actually didn't, weren't going to talk about bronchi. We said we we're going to talk about foreign bodies. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, idiot. Okay. Sorry. I'll get back to being normal. Um, now, we're going to get into bronchi a little bit later. And you're going to run us through bronch. Just quickly, why did you want to talk about bronch or why is bronch important to you? What do you do? Bronch, well, mm. I'm a peds trainee. Yep. And bronch is, I've started on Gen Med this year and that has to be the most common thing that you see on Gen Med. And then when I worked in a smaller hospital where you happen to work, yep. um, <laughs> it is every second kid you see. Okay. Really common. Either bronch sort of fitting into that viral induced squeeze or asthma category, which we might get into. Yep. But it's just so common and can be relatively easily managed. Um, and so I think it's really important. Yeah, sick. I'm looking forward to knowing a little bit more about it as well. So, Nikki, let's crack in. What is bronchiolitis? Well, simply it's a viral infection of the... It's in the name, really. Yep. So bronch so yep. the bronchioles and then the eye to spit usually means inflammation or infection so yep. um viral infection of the bronchioles which generally is children under 12 months and we say generally because it can sort of go over 12 months mm-hmm. and can sometimes at that later end be classified as viral induced wheeze and we're talking about it because it's common it's a common presentation to eds and to you were saying in gen med, you see it quite commonly. Yes. Yep. So I start, I tried to look up exactly what the number is in Australia in terms of presentation. Yep. In the last two years with COVID, everything's obviously changed in what people are presenting with. Yep. But I did find one study that said that it's 50% of presentations of children under 12 months or 12 months and under. Wow. So it's Basically, it's very common. If you work in an emergency department that has children, you will see it and you'll see it often. 
cool. you need to know how to manage it and stratify it because the severity of it will determine if they're coming in, if they need to be nexed out or if mm -hmm. they can go home. So that's like the spectrum of disease. Cool. Um, that's good. Yeah. And I think it's good to say nets because some small hospitals won't need to get transferred to the kids may need to be transferred to larger hospitals um, via neonatal retrieval service. Um, and some are bigger hospitals. They could stay in that hospital, but it's important to know. Um, and you're going to yeah, run yeah. us through um, a bit of a mild, moderate and to severe, um, you know, stratification for um, bronchial, how it's diagnosed. Now, um, what happens, we talked about, you said um, we can have, what can cause bronchiolitis? So most cases, so like 80, 90%, depending on where you look, is RSV, respiratory yep. syncope virus. Yep. And then your others are rhinovirus, parainfluenza, humimetanumavirus, adenovirus. Yeah. Um, but what we've seen a lot of, well, what I've seen a lot of this year is multiple in viruses in children. More than so, one. Yeah. So okay. the most I've seen, because now we're swabbing, we never used to swab for bronch and find out what virus it was, but okay. now we're having to because of COVID, COVID. We're getting a lot more information about what's causing it. Ah, cool. Um, the most viruses I've seen in one kid with bronchiolitis is five. Whoa. Christmas tree viruses. <laughs> An impressive effort. Yeah. Recently started preschool, shockingly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just picked up on a nasopharyngeal, like a just like a swab you do for a COVID swab. You can send your exactly. COVID swab off, and they can screen for the viruses. Yeah. Hit them all at once. Hit them all at once. Love it. Um, are they are they common viruses like the um, are, you know talking about those viruses you said before? Would yeah. We, yeah. We would have had them and okay. we will probably get them again. They're just extremely common viruses circulating the community. I mentioned rhinovirus, which is like the most common cold virus we would get as adults. Yep. And then we have fluctuations in the time of year when these viruses would present. Yep. And can't really comment on that at the moment because it's again changed because of lockdowns when we would yes. normally see RSV through winter and that's when we would have more of our bronchs. But yep. that changed a bit in the last year that we had all the RSVs sort of come yep. through summer when we opened everything back up. So yep. really common viruses love to spread between kids. And I mentioned preschool, that's where they're going to spread. And then most parents would have had them before. They might get mild symptoms, mm -hmm. but a lot of the parents have no symptoms at all and it's just all of their, their kids and bubs that are picking up viruses as you do building your immune system. Cool. What's going on at a patho level? Like if you wanted to, for anyone you teach in ED or your teachers teach in, um, in you know, interns or medical students, what do you, what's your yeah. spiel on, what's your spiel on bronch? My spiel, my spiel is, I suppose if, we do pathophys all together with how they present. I say, okay, so upper airway first, three yep. days of what we call ERTI symptoms, upper respiratory tract infection symptoms. Then the virus moves down to the lower airways. So as we mentioned before, it's infection of your bronchioles. So the bronchioles are the almost the end of your airway, your alveoli at the very end. Bronchioles are just before that, the alveoli and the alveoli is where the gas exchange happens the virus directly injures that area okay. so same as all inflammation inflammation occurs mm -hmm. and then of course your immune cells come in uh 
try and fight the virus and then you have mucus production, you have sloughing off of epithelial cells and necrosis of the epithelial cells, so the outer layer of the cells in there. And then you can imagine that in this, such a tiny space, if you have dead cells coming off, mucus coming off and blocking that path, you're going to have reduced size of the airway and you're going to have air trapping. Yes. And so the air trapping is going to, in the alveoli, is going to stop good gas exchange. And then these bulbs response to not having great gas exchange. So we might see that their oxygen saturations start to drop. Mm-hmm. The body's response to that is to, of course, breathe up. So yep. tachypnea, start breathing faster to try and get that better exchange. And then, of course, tachycardia, so start moving that blood flow more. And these kids are under 12 months and they can be as small as a couple of days old. Mm-hmm. And so if you think that the biggest thing that a couple of day old baby does is feed and sleep. Yes. And we're interrupting that with faster breathing and a faster heart rate. Yeah. They're going to get tired quick. Okay. Um, and then because they're getting tired, they're not going to feed because that's one of the few things that they can do. Okay. So that's sort of how the pathophys explains what we see in emergency. Sort of, I guess for the emergency people out there, we're going to run through sort of a mild to moderate to severe because we're going to see, like anything, we can see, I mean, diseases through a whole range of scales. Um, but you're going to let us know when we're going to be concerned and when we're going to get worried. Is that right? That's it. Cool. Pediatrics, pediatricians love guidelines and classifying things and then having a clear management plan. So the Sydney Kids Hospital Network has lots of good guidelines and this this classification. And then the other big Kids Hospital in Australia is the Royal Melbourne. And so they have a really good classification system as well. But essentially, mild, moderate, severe, which go through the symptoms. So bronchiolitis is a clinical diagnosis. So there's mm-hmm. no blood test. There's no chest X-ray that's going to tell us exactly what's going on. It's based on what the parents tell you. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, what you see in front of you, your exam and your vitals. So we think about mild. So mm-hmm. in pediatrics, you always hear everyone talk about the child looks well, which is just... Um, it's such a peds thing, but it means so much. So in handover, we say the child looks well. Yes. That means a lot. And they're the things that like, are they running around the room playing with their siblings? They're babbling. They're wanting to play and they're interactive with you. They might be sucking on a juice. Or yeah. really <laughs> so that's what we mean when we say a child looks well. Looks well. Um, surely that could be very different to what I think looks well and you think looks well. Um, but it's, but it's important because you're sort of painting a picture that. Absolutely. And like I said, the, you can have a child that looks extremely well and isn't well. Yes. Um, of course, but uh, a basic information and how we talk about peds is looking well is a massive tick box. And obviously there's more to the story than that. If this kid's got (laughs) no past medical history and they're running around the room wild, generally say respiratory rate under 60. So Uh obviously we're in AIDS land. So the vitals are different. So a respiratory rate of 60 would sound ridiculous anywhere else. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) But so respiratory rate under 60 is 
normal or 60 is still sort of within normal range for these 12 months is good. The kid won't have any work of breathing and we'll get into work of breathing when we get to moderate. Their oxygen saturations are greater than 92% and they won't be tachycardic. So this kid might just have come in with a bit of cold symptoms and you can hear their tresses a little bit crackly when you have a listen with your stethoscope. And if they have good parents, they look well, um, the parents live close by, they understand the fact sheet that you give them. We love a fact sheet in paediatrics. Every parent should go home with a fact sheet if they're leaving ED. Then that child can be managed at home and just with the warning things, warning signs of when to bring them back. One of the other things I should have mentioned earlier with bronch is when you see the most severe part of the illness. Mm -hmm. So, which is day three, day four is what becomes most severe. So another term that we use in peds and bronch is they're a day four bronch or they're a day two bronch. Okay. And that just means from the onset of symptoms. So can we expect this child to get better or worse? Yep. So if a child's coming in, they're only day two in their illness and they already look quite unwell, you can probably expect they're going to get worse on day three, day four. Okay. And that's normally getting a clinical history from mum and dad or the, or the carer. Hey, when did Johnny start to sneeze or have a runny nose? Oh, he got a, you know. Yeah. yeah, and that's it. Kids always have runny noses, the other problem. So you've got to put it together with everything. So yeah. maybe a low-grade fever, maybe a bit of a cough, the um, mucus from their nose started to look a bit yellow, but all about the history and peas because we try and avoid investigations as much as we can. Yep. Because investigations like blood tests and chest X-ray are just such a big deal when compared to adult land. Okay. And what so makes you go bronch straight away when you sort of hear the history of the parents and you go, oh, I think that's bronch? A perfect bronch history would yeah. be that this child has had three days of a runny nose, low-grade fevers, a little bit tired than normal, but still eating okay. And then tonight I noticed that his chest was moving a little bit more and it, it looked like he was he was trying to breathe a bit harder. Like I've noticed his chest when I would never normally notice him breathing like that. Yeah. Um, that would sort of be your best. Cool. Yeah, good. Like it. Classic bronch. They come in usually with they're worried about their breathing or they're maybe worried about their feeding, especially when they're younger or it's first time parent. They've not seen how how babies breathe. That would be a general presentation. Cool. Love it. Cool. That's good. And then if we go to, so that was mild, kid looks well, observations are okay, but just a little bit off. And then if we go to moderate. Mm-hmm. Just, moderate sorry, just on mild, those mild kids would go, go home, as you said before. Would they stay in ED for long? Just maybe yeah. depends. <laughs> depends <laughs> on seeing them. And who's seen them and how... Co- so this is the other thing. Be confident in sending kids home because that's scary. Yeah. Um, and that's why any junior working with peds needs to get someone more senior to have a look at them. Cool. And some of the bosses that you know would just walk into that waiting room and just go, that's a bronc, they can go home. Like if yeah. they so quickly yeah assuming they've got no risk factors so what the risk factors the risk factors would be basic things that you would think about but has this kid needed icu before for a breathing problem mm-hmm. um, i'm not sure i ooh. understand <laughs> siri's doing medicine <laughs> help, help me siri <laughs> 
What's the answer to risk factors, Suri? Okay, risk factors. So, been in ICU before with bronchiolitis or for other reasons you need to find out. Are they immunocompromised? Um, Do they have congenital heart disease, which in a tertiary kids' hospital you will see quite a bit of? Um, Congenital lung disease. So, if that kid was born at 28 weeks, you can probably presume that they've got some underlying lung problem or regardless they were born at 28 weeks, they need to be seen by someone senior and potentially come in instead of going home. Young, under three months, we generally pay a lot more attention to those kids. They will probably come in as well. Um, And anything else that sort of lights up as a red flag that this isn't a straightforward kid that says no medical history, any red flag, you probably want to think about other things. Cool. Maybe maybe keep an eye on them. Have a lower threshold. Yeah. And the treatment for mild generally um, sent, like, look at them. They're good. They're good. They can go home. Don't need any treatment. Yep. That's exactly right. So they don't even need an invest. I think that's the other part of this is they don't even need an investigation. So that's why it's so important to get someone maybe senior to have a look at them because you're not doing a blood test to say their white cells are fine. You're not doing a chest X-ray to say this is a raging pneumonia. Yes. Yeah. Confident to say, no, it's bronch. I'm not doing anything. Go home. Yeah. The important part of that is the education to the parents to say, this is what I think it is. And this is why, this is what bronchiolitis is. If there's a change in X, Y, Z, you need to come back. Because, of course, any infection can turn into a pneumonia or we Mm. can miss things if something's early. Early sepsis in an extremely well-looking kid, they've definitely been sent home from ED before. Mm. Um, So that's why it's so important to give those red flags to the parents of when to come back to hospital and say to them to not worry about coming back, but you coming back gives us more information that we only have this window of maybe an hour in emergency and you have observation of three days at home. We need that information. If you're worried, come back. That's the other. Mm. I always say that if you're impedes, if you're worried, just come back. Parental concern is, uh, the number, number one thing that is, and um, in all med school tests, in tests now um, as peds trainee, we're always asked what's a red flag and it's parental concern. The parent's story makes a huge impact on, on your assessment of the child. Definitely. And we get such a small, short snapshot in ED of what they're like. And the parent might be saying to you, They've had half a cup of juice in the last three days. Mm. They haven't done a wee. They haven't done a poo. Yeah, they're looking great now because you've whipped out, um, you know, baby shark on the iPad. Like that's <laughs> got them excited and they're in this new environment. But they have been so unwell at home and I've never seen them this sick or I've never seen them like this before. Yeah. That's got to make you worry. So yeah. go looking. 100%. The worst thing is to box a parent in and go, oh, they're not coping or they, you know, and to throw this in, you hear people talk about that. It's like, hang on a minute. They know yeah. them more than I do. Yeah. You know? And I can think of two kids that I've seen where the parent has been coming up to the desk and, you know, that going up to the desk too much, being a bit rude, being rude yeah. to the nurses and um, both times that, kid had a pretty serious diagnosis Mm. 
um, and so the parents were worried. Um, and so I just would, I can never, you always assess each kid and I always sort of, especially my examination, just put the parent completely out of the picture so that I can focus on whether they're well or not. But the annoying parent is probably being annoying for a reason. Of course, there's always, there's always annoying people in the world, but squeaky wheel. Like my lesson mm. has absolutely been learned. Oh yeah, it's good. You learn heaps from that. That's good. I like it. Cool. So you're going on to moderate. So we've seen a mild. We sent the milds home. We did a risk factors. You get a medical history of the of the mum and dad we talked about. Um, and then you're talking into the moderates that come in. They come into to your ED. Yeah. So with mild, moderate, severe, they're all initially presenting with the same thing. The parent might be saying that they've had like we said, the runny nose, cough, cold for a couple of days. Yep. And then I've noticed generally work of breathing, something not right or poor feeding. So it, the moderate and severe classification is usually what we would see as medical yep. professionals. So moderate, as you can imagine, is just worse symptoms than what we spoke about before. So the tachypnea is worse. So we're talking over 60. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'll just say 60 to 70 as a ballpark because it's going to matter on whether this kid's one month or 12 months old. Correct. Yep. So they're sort of in that slightly elevated, but not super severe. Yep. Um, and then we notice the work of breathing ourselves now. So we lift up their shirt when we examine them and we can see maybe the tracheal tug, subcostal mm-hmm. recession, intercostal recession. So we can see these kids working hard. Mm-hmm. They may have a head bob as well, which is mm-hmm. where their head bobs up and down kids don't have the same use of their accessory muscles that we can do and sort of splint ourselves to increase the work of breathing. So their head will bob along and their nasal flare will occur yep. as well. So bubs and nasal breathers, then little nose is going to flare a little bit. Yeah. And then when it comes to oxygen saturation, it's going to be less than 92. So 92 is sort of the cutoff for bronchiolitis. Yep. But we can maintain, the caveat of moderate is that we can maintain saturations above 92 or equal to 92 with just low flow, normal oxygen yep. at one liter per kilo. Cool. Um, they might be a little bit tachycardic, but again, not into the high, high range. So maybe mm-hmm. just slightly above normal. If you look at the category, they should be feeding more than 50% of normal. So I should have said that for mild as well, that their feeds are normal. Okay. Or close to normal. Yep. So that's how we quantify feeds in bronchiolitis or in peds to make it simple, simple for parents. Are they having half of normal, more than half of normal, less than half of normal? How do you ascertain that from like a kid who's breastfed? Um, is that ever hard to do? It, it is. And you have to ask some personal questions of mum. So um, we ask about frequency. So how frequent would bub normally feed? Yep. So if they're tiny, you're saying every three hours and how long would they feed for? And the mum might say their baseline is every three hours, half an hour or 20 minutes on each breast. And I can tell when they've had a good feed because the breasts are empty or they're less full. Good. Okay, cool. So you have to ask mum those questions as well. So the frequency and then how long are they latching for? So if they'd normally latch for 20 minutes and not have a breath, you know, um, and then be able to go to the next breast for another 20 minutes after a bit of birth, that's their normal. 
if they're trying to latch and then coming off and then trying to latch and coming off mm. and mum will know if that's not a good feed and they've not had a good feed for a day, two days, they'll be able to tell you. And then the other thing is, of course, that breast milk goes in, has to go out somewhere. So how are their wheeze and poos going? Oh, I love it. If their wheeze, are, they've had one wet nappy in 24 hours and parents will know how many wet nappies yeah. their kids have, especially when they're sick, they pay attention. And they know that they would normally go through eight wet nappies a day and now they're down to one. So that ins that's and outs, uh, that's another peds thing, ins and outs. Yep. Um, like you said, especially when they're breastfeeding, it's hard to quantify. But you're cut off for most things in peds other than just bronchiolitis is the 50% mark. And can cool. they maintain that or do they have ongoing losses? Okay. That's good so, to know. So 50%, greater than 50% would be moderate bronchiolitis. You want them to still be maintaining their sugar level and their hydration level. Yep. But what we often recommend in a lot of illnesses like gastro and bronch is can we do smaller frequent feeds? So okay. some kids are chugging, you know, yeah. 400 mils of milk. Yep. And then, of course, their work of breathing's worse afterwards because their tummy is so full that they can't breathe anymore because their diaphragm's yeah. put against a huge stomach. So <laughs> um so what we can do for these kids that are moderate, so they like I said, they probably need that one liter, maybe one liter of low flow oxygen. Yep. Their feeds are around 50% of normal. And then part of your assessment of course would be the hydration status of this kid. So mum thinks they're having about 50%, but on examination their lips are dry, their tongue's dry. Their skin turgor, you, skin turgor is hard to, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, I know. It's... But cap refill, um, always do cap refill centrally. So you press down on their sternum and hold it for five seconds and let go. And is that less than three seconds? Nice and reassuring. The colour of this kid, do they feel nice and warm? Yeah. And then maybe are they demonstrating to you that they just drank half a cup of apple juice yep if they're not an ng i've just been complaining about ng don't put ngs in hang on a minute throw an ng in but from what i can see is kids <laughs> seem to tolerate ngs a lot better than we do yeah they go in a lot easier 100 percent easier to put in than adults in my opinion adults yeah good <laughs> um uh, all the and, nurses out there can re-correct me if it's wrong, but I find them easier. Yeah. Oh, I hope they're easy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put yours in, so I don't know, man. Maybe your nostrils are just all over the place. <laughs> you know those bubble tea straws? Yeah. I felt like it was one of those bubble tea straws. <laughs> that big. Did it come out your mouth? Yeah. Several times. There was so many attempts. And as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like gagging on this thing and I'm trying to pull it out because oh. your body's just like trying to get this thing out of you. Not fun, hey. Not fun, oh. the old NG coming out of the mouth. It's like swallow. It's like they can't because it's coming out of the mouth. <laughs> retake. Try the other nostril. There's only two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Now, I'd imagine you're pretty confused at this moment with me and Nikki laughing and joking about NG tubes, uh, Nikki talking about having an NG tube. Um, we're going to hear Nikki's story in a later episode, 
um, where she retells um, her story and what's been going on in her life in the past six months. Um, and that's going to be a great story. It's going to tie into an episode that we're going to talk about. Um, but that's why we're sort of laughing and joking about this sort of stuff. I did want to put it in this episode, but I felt like it deserved its own episode. Um, and I really feel um, that Nikki's story is really powerful. Um, and it's going to be one of those ones you're really going to want to listen to. Um, so watch out for that episode coming soon. It's also important to know that Nikki only just started to recover um, when she did this interview with me. Um, and it's just so great. She's only just gone back to work. Um, this week was her first week actually back in the hospital. Um, and, you know, this person has dedicated her life to um, the study of medicine and to help children. Um, and I just love how she's ripping through bronch here, um, just so clearly, so concisely. Um, and she is an amazing human. One thing about her is that whenever you see her on a shift, um, you see this blonde curly hair. Um, and you're probably going to see a trail of sand because she's probably been for a surf before she's come into a shift. Alright, let's crack back into the episode. But I promised parents that NG's not as bad for babies. NG's are fine. Yeah, I've seen plenty of NG's go in. Yep. Babies. They go, and then it's down. Yeah. They swallow it really quickly. And then once it's taped to their face, they forget it's there. Some older kids will definitely try and pull them out. But most kids, if it's taped down well enough, will not pay much attention to it. The benefit of the NG is, of course, you can remove some of the gas if it's filled up their stomach, which we'll get onto when we talk about high flow. But you can also trickle what we call like trickle feeds through. So instead of giving them a large volume of liquid at one point in time, we can just run it continuously like we would do on an adult IV maintenance fluids. You can yeah. do that via the NG tube. Um, and then the only other part of investigation, investigation and treatment would be the NPA, nasopharyngeal aspirate or a swab to see what virus it is. Like I said, we didn't used to do them, but now with COVID, that's... We're having to... Yeah, I guess the caveat now is that we're having to COVID swab all of them that have any respiratory stuff. Welcome to Bronx. They're going to get it, aren't they? A COVID swab. Yeah. And it does help a little bit in that if it's they only have rhinovirus, you can sort of think, okay, this kid might be able to go home tomorrow. The okay. nurses might wean the oxygen overnight. They're already day five of their bronch. We see if they can tolerate feeds the next morning. They tolerate them well and they might go home the next day. Yeah. Whereas if they've got... RSV, they've got rhinovirus, they've got adenovirus, and they're only day two of their illness. You think, oh, this kid's probably going to stick around for a little while. Mm. It does sort of help you explain to the parents how long their admission might be. Does a family history of like asthma, eczema, AGP give give kids more of a risk of having um, bronchiolitis? Not necessarily bronchial. I mean, I'm not sure what the most recent evidence is, is to be honest, but not necessarily bronchiolitis. Cool. When yep. you start getting to the more viral-induced wheeze, early asthma kids. The later stages of life, the four, the five, the six, yeah. Yep. But some children will have, many children will have one episode of bronchiolitis and never have another episode cool. again. Good to know. Yep. You might see kids that come in with recurrent bronchiolitis and then at 12 months, they start to sound a bit more wheezy. Mm. And then they start to look maybe a bit more like a viral-induced wheeze. And then they have repeated presentations of viral-induced wheeze. And then when they finally get to four and we can 
get them to do some version of a lung function test, we start would start calling that asthma. Okay. And when we examine the moderates, when we listen and auscultate their chest, you said the moderates would obviously have increased work of breathing that we talked about before, the tracheal tug, recession, the high respiratory rate, the tachycardia. When you listen, what do they sound like clinically when you listen to their chest? Exactly. And Correctly. this is just the lesson to when you're training as well, to have a listen to everyone's chest so you know what crackly means. Um, and it's probably the best description for it. Just like little crackles and you might hear them throughout. Most of the time you'll hear it throughout the chest and you should be reassured if you can hear it throughout the chest because the things that you need to exclude that we probably, I didn't mention foreign body, but you need to exclude like a foreign body and pneumonia or even a pneumothorax where you would have one area of the chest that sounds different to the rest. So if yep. the whole chest sounds a little bit crackly, there might be a little bit of a wheeze, like a little expiratory wheeze. Mm -hmm. um, and you might, you often hear both a little bit of a wheeze, a little bit of a crackle would be what you hear throughout their chest. Cool. The rest of the exam on these kids is that they might be a bit more tired than mm -hmm. your mild bronx, little, looking a little bit fatigued, their colour should still be maintained, their capillary refill should still be maintained. And then this is when you're thinking about those kids that are more high risk and is why you're examining everything in kids. Paediatrics is always a top-to-toe examination regardless of what they came in with. Love it, cool. So listening to their heart, do they have a heart murmur? Heart murmurs are really, like flow murmurs are really common in children. When they've got a fever and their heart rate's on the higher side we often hear a flow murmur so it's important that if we recognize a murmur that we make sure that this child doesn't have underlying cardiac disease okay. just even have a listen when they're not running at 200 beats per minute yep would reassure you enough um if they had all the settings to just have a simple flow awesome. murmur. Yep, yep, yep. um and does that murmur sound like a flow murmur that's why you're getting a peds reg or a consultant to come and review this kid um, so you're having a listen to the heart, you're having a feel of their tummy, is their spleen huge, is their liver huge, other indications of heart failure or something more complicated going on in this kid. Mm. Um, and then as part of feeling their tummy, are we confusing this with something else? Has this kid got a fever and is lethargic because they've got appendicitis or some intra-abdominal pathology? And then because you're looking at the head to the toe, you're looking at rashes, yeah. signs of other signs of sepsis what their fontanelles doing for signs of meningitis or their fluid status so you're doing the full head to toe yeah. to making sure that you're not missing anything else you've undressed this kid which is important mm. and and making sure you're not missing anything else but the main findings of a bronch exam are those signs of the work of breathing the crackle crackles and a little bit of wheeze in their chest and then sort of tick boxing everything else is negative and fits with this simple bronch picture. Yeah. Ideally. I like it how you've sort of done like when you've exa examined the child that you've kind of made sure you're ticking off the big causes that we could be worried about, like your pneumothorax or, you know, something that, or your pneumonia, you know, something that you're worried about, obviously less common, but it's good. You still doesn't mean you not, you shouldn't rule them out. Like you still got to get rid of them off the table. You can't be For sitting sure. at the table with, with only bronch on the table all the time, you still have to click the others off the box. And that's it. You can read the triage note and probably go bronch, <laughs> like bang, without even seeing the kid. But we've definitely all been surprised. 
And mm. sometimes it's that kid that's running around the waiting room and then you go and listen to their chest and you think that side doesn't sound the same as that side. And now they're febrile to 40 and now they're not looking so good. Yeah. So it's so important to, and like that's the beauty of having an open ED is where you're sitting there typing your notes and you're watching that kid across the room. Yes. And you can see what they're doing, especially if they've just been screaming for the last half hour because we've, nurses and doctors been doing something terrible to them <laughs> but when you go and sit back at your computer and by terrible i mean doing a but you're sitting back at your computer and that kid still looks like crap or now they're miraculously improved and are you know fighting their sibling but you get information just by sitting there and watching them for a bit which is part of your peds exam cool is giving them a toy to play with, giving them an iPad, are you getting reassuring signs? Awesome. Cool. Um, and those kids obviously get admitted depending on what's wrong with them. Um, they need oxygen, obviously, so they're coming into to your peds ward. And depending on what, what day they are, then they're going to go follow up with a pediatrician or something or, or the GP or something. Yeah, most of the time, pretty straightforward GP review. Um, every kid goes home and we say follow up with your GP in about three days but the the moderate bronc assuming they're a straightforward moderate bronc would one to two days bit of oxygen bit of feeding support we'd wean the oxygen wean the feeding and then they'd prove to us that they can stay off oxygen and maintain the intake and kids bounce back so quick so they might look really unwell in ed and the next day they're running out the door on their way to maccas (laughs) They really hard turnaround for Bronx. They okay. they come and go pretty quick. Sweet. Um, and the other thing was um severe. So a severe Bronx. Severe Bronx. So these are the ones the parents will come in with all the things that I was talking about before. That they're worried about their child. They look unwell. Again, they've had the same symptoms preceding. So they've had a cough. They've had a runny nose, and then. Their parents might have noted the work of breathing or funny breathing. They might just make a general comment about their breathing. Mm. And what we'd be worried about in severe is, of course, they can be tachypneic, so breathing really fast, but they can also be bradypneic or even mm. be having apneas. And that's okay. at the very extreme end. But they've lost the normal breathing drive or they're so exhausted that they're having apneas. And especially the tiny bugs, apneas is always a bad sign. That child needs to be put on... This kid should be going to recess, okay. um, but regardless, they'll need to be on a monitor for days to keep an eye on these apneas. Yep. Um, and then if they aren't having apneas, but the tachycardic, obviously they'll have severe work of breathing. So all the things we talked about before. So the subcostal recession and the intercostal recession, this is the importance of undressing the kid, getting them out of the onesie. They always yeah. have a bib and a onesie on and a blanket on and you uh, need to get it all off because you need to look at that tummy and sometimes i've been surprised because a baby looks so well and then you undress them and you see their stomach and their chest seesawing they're just working so hard yeah so the subcostal recession is really obvious in kids because they always have big tummies if that's moving up and down at a fast rate and then looking in between their ribs is that really pulling in tracheal tug like we mentioned their head bobbing their nose Mm. is flaring and their face just looks exhausted. Um, they might even have a change of colour. They're looking a bit blue or pale. Yep. All red flags. And then when we think about, so obviously their breathing rates 
the extreme of either end, their yep. heart rate is going to be tachycardic because their body's trying to compensate. So we're talking sort of up, getting up to 200. It's a fast. But if you, yep. uh, my, how I remember in peds about heart rate is remember a baby comes out with a heart rate at about 160 and then you sort of work down from there as they get older. Yeah. So if they're going above 180, have someone look at them. Again, all of these kids can be febrile, but the fever is just telling you that there is a vir- potentially a viral illness going on. Yep. Um, and another sign would be that we're giving them Panadol, but they're still being, and the fever's coming down, they're still tachycardic, they're still yeah. tachyotonic. Think about other things. These kids, of course, are absolutely exhausted, so they're not feeding. So this would be mm. the mum say they're definitely having less than normal. They don't have wet nappies, nowhere near what we're used to. Um, and obviously these children will have oxygen saturations below 92%. Mm. And this kid generally wouldn't be in a sort of well-functioning PZD, wouldn't be put on low flow to even start with. This child should be going on high flow nasal prongs straight away yep and they would be starting at two per kilo so each hospital will have a protocol for high flow nasal prongs yep um the big centers in sydney are start at two per kilo with the child severe high flow nasal prongs and we just put them on for two hours yep and see what the response is um this kid depending on how they look will get blood they will get bloods regardless because we need to get a cannula into this kid so they can get a a nasogastric tube because we want to get some of that air out of their stomach and we'll potentially use that for feeds but until we can start feeds we need to pop in a drip start some fluids and they might even need fluid resuscitation depending on how long they've been without feeds or dehydrated yep If you're putting in a cannula, you're, of course, going to take some bloods because that's what we do. We do, yeah, it's easier. Um, And so in children, we always talk about maintenance fluids. So in theory, we put them on two-thirds maintenance fluids. You don't want to fluid overload these bubs. They're already working so hard. So so you have severe child being managed in recess. You've got all your monitoring on. They look unwell. They're working really hard of breathing. The parents are concerned popping on high flow, putting an NG in, putting a cannula in and taking some baseline bloods. And the baseline bloods generally would be probably a blood culture, an FBC, a full blood count, sorry, I should say, and UECs. And you're just doing it because you're there or and a BBG yeah. um, to make sure you're not missing anything else. Okay. If there's a complete surprise on the blood test, that's helpful, um, but you are stratifying whether this is something else going on. Is this child septic? Yeah. And they can be septic and have bronchiolitis at the same time, of course. Mm. Um, And then you'd be considering if this child does look septic and as sick as we're saying, that you'd be considering a chest X-ray. Yep. um, Depending where you are and what what the kid looks like and what the examination's like. When you listen to their chest, it's saying it's going to be crackly and it's, there's probably going to be, there may or may not be a wheeze. So the wheeze isn't the essential part of the picture here. It might just be a little bit crackly throughout. And the severity of the crackles don't really tell you about what's going on. I've heard huge crackles in a mild bronchiolitis and heard minimal crackles in a severe 
bronchiolitis. So it's more about the work of breathing and how that kid looks and what their vitals are. Yep. And I know some centers, I like how you said jump straight onto two per kilo of high flow because some centers will go to one and then, you know, an hour later or two hours later, they're going to two. And it's like, I think we should go big, big harder first, hit them with two per kilo. That's great. Um, and the NG of, oh, sorry for people out there, the high flow, obviously just a nasal cannula that gives flow and FI2 and we can titrate to the child's saturations, um, which is important. Yeah. So um, luckily one of my friends works for a company that supplies high flow nasal prongs. Still plugs. Anyway, I spoke to her today about yeah. what high flow, I mean, we all think about high flow as supplying a bit of pressure, a bit of oxygen, yes. open up their airways, splint the airways. It's got a bit of peep to it. Yes. Um, but the other important thing she's talking about were the temperature. So yep. if you have a tiny bub that's a couple of days old, does not have the energy to try and get the air that they're breathing in up to 37 degrees. So you're mm. already supplying with high flow nasal prongs air that's 37 degrees humidified. and right moisture. So it's humidified, um, which is another thing that your body would have to work to do. So humidified temperature, reducing dead space, bit of peep, peep as in splinting the airways, positive pressure. Yep. Um, so since the introduction of high flow, there's obviously been way less intubation across kids to adults. Um, uh, so that's what high flow nasal prongs will do. And there's plenty of kids that come into ED with bronch that will be placed on high flow. And maybe it's not in ED. Maybe they're a day two bronch and they're starting as looking like a moderate. Yeah. And then two days later, they're, they're on the high flow. On the ward. The ward. Yeah. I think it's good too because kids are nasal breathers as well. So you've got this nasal cannula in the kids actually getting in the the, the peep and getting in the pressure, uh, and then you can see drastic improvement. Sometimes some kids step down um, oh, with, with high flow. Okay. Yeah, I love that that statement. Um, and the NG, I think we're putting in more, like you said, more pressure into the into the lungs, more volume. That decompressing an NG is a really important thing to throw in. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And that's part of generally the policy that if high flow is going on and NG is going in as well. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, I have heard in the severe cases, some places, if they're waiting for a retrieval service, can actually go up to three per kilo. Um, And that was a thing I heard today. I don't know if it's right or not, but um, he said that um, works in intensive care. He said sometimes when kids are, especially that are really sick, um, you can sometimes go up to three per kilo when waiting for a retrieval service if they need it but I'm assuming if we're getting that sick, they're going to be thinking about other forms of ventilation. So that's just something I'm going to research. And no, I think whatever nets tell you to do, they're, they're, the, they're the guns, eh? Is yeah. what you do. And that, and when you get to that point of calling nets, if you've got a severe kid, you're obviously considering CPAP. Yes. You're considering does this child need intubation? Um and setting up for those things, being prepared. I love it. I love it. That's yeah. really good. And should mention with the severe kids that we're putting the NG down. The NG is obviously to degas, so removing some of the gas that the high flow is putting into their stomach. Because of course, it's going to. These kids aren't protecting their esophagus like we are. A lot of air is going to go into their stomach. Um, when they're severe, you wouldn't be using that NG for fluids, like you might have been in the moderate category. So 
generally with that first two, that first critical time of the two hours of starting the high flow, don't use that NG, just let this kid settle and recover and you can give them fluids through the drip. If they start to settle down on the high flow and you're dropping the high flow to one litre per kilo, that's when you could probably start trickling something in through the, the nasogastric tube. Okay. So some hydrolytes and gastrolyte, even mm. breast milk can go via an NG. Oh, okay. that's cool is what that kid needs if they're getting really unsettled and you've already got them down to one litre per kilo and they're just unsettled, maybe they just need some breast milk by their, their NG to calm them down. Mm -hmm. So you just got to be careful that you're not going full pelt with the NG and giving large volumes to fill that stomach up. So yeah. just always about two thirds of, of what they would normally have. I'm going to ask a question. Um, maybe devil's advocate on this one. Um, bronchodilators. Uh, yeah. I have heard of, and I, I man, I'm not smart, but I have seen a trial of, <laughs> no, I've seen a trial of bronchodilators, um, for bronch as in like, oh, we'll just give him six puffs of sabutamol, almost like, did it work? Did it not work? Does that happen or am I tripping? No, really, really important question. And this is, um, I suppose when we're getting into the, talking about bronch, viral induced wheeze, asthma which I think needs to be spoken about in a bronch talk. So bronch, we, if we go simple classification, is under 12 months. Yep. Viral-induced wheeze, greater than 12 months, but before we can call them asthma. And then asthma, when they're four and older, can do some lung function tests, we'll call it asthma. Yep. And, but it doesn't mean that bronch leads to asthma. Yep. Under 12 months, generally, you don't have the receptors in your smooth muscle for bronchodilators like Ventolin, Salbutamol to work, mm -hmm. generally. If this kid is quite wheezy, maybe at 10 months, I was thinking, yeah. the high flow is not working, it's definitely worth a go. Cool. And we've cool. had ICU or PICU, because pediatric ICU, come down and see a kid that's 10 months old and their chest sounds tight, which is such a medical word, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what tight means. Yeah. Um, absolutely, it's worth a go. And there's been so many kids that we've done just the six puffs of Ventolin or um, what am I, what's the word? Nebulized. Oh, nebulized, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it has done nothing. So you go back, you give it, you go yeah. back and listen. 10, 20 minutes later hasn't made any difference and you call oh. me picky that thing, like, nice, try. But <laughs> it definitely does work and they might just be that their airways have those receptors and the Ventolin does work on them. Yeah. So cool. when you start to get to 12 months, the bronchodilators will work and that's when we're getting to that viral-induced wheeze. So similar presentation, but we would manage it with bronchodilators and steroids. Mm. Um. And then when we get to asthma, like I said, same management, similar symptoms, bit older. But that's yeah. the sort of spectrum of what we're talking about and why people get confused when we throw around bronch and viral-induced wheeze. Yes. And at 12 months, they could be a bit of bronch, a bit of viral-induced wheeze. And so you'll see us trial bronchodilators, trial high flow to see what works. But it's because yeah. it's not so black and white as three categories. It's hard, I think, in the mild to moderate because it's like you don't do a whole lot like – you know, so often you come to ED and we treat things like, bang, this, this is a, you know, you've got a staph, you know, staph infection. You're going to have this or you've got this, you need an x-ray. And then you get bronchus, like you're going to get a little bit of oxygen maybe. And, you know, and then 
obviously we, we, we love treating people and this is sort of, I guess in the severe, it's a different story, but in the earlier ones, it's a, you know. And that's a really common question. The parents always ask that, aren't you going to do a chest X-ray? Yeah. You know, a breathing problem in an adult, of course, we'd always do a chest X-ray. Um, some people would say if it's a first episode wheeze, pure wheeze, you should be doing a chest X-ray to exclude some of the differential diagnoses or a foreign body. But generally for bronch, straightforward bronch crackles on the chest, good history. history You're doing no investigations, but you need to explain that to the parents that why you're not doing the investigations. And, but you also explain like, should things change, we would do investigations and limiting the radiation exposure and all those things that you would explain Mm. to the parents as to the reasoning all about communication especially in pediatrics this is old school med right before we had all these investigations or ct scan get that answer straight away this is what we should be relying on and a blood test and a cannula is just the most traumatic thing for a kid yeah. and the family when they're under 12 months it's like the worst thing for the parents cool. um so you've got to be sure that that's a good idea um and we went to i said let's we go quickly back to the severe we've done our gas we've done a chest x-ray um we've gone to two liters per kilo um we're in the smaller center we're going to call nets we talked about earlier um and um we're going to get this kid to a bigger tertiary hospital um bigger tertiary hospitals the kid can probably go to like a nick or a nicu or a pediatric icu or something pick you Pick you. Yeah, that, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, NETS, as you mentioned, is the paediatric retrieval service. Um, and they generally have cameras in lots of EDs. So they can monitor what's going on. You'd be calling them with all your vital signs and investigations so far. And like I said before, you just do what NETS tells you. And they might tell you to try some different things, like try a bronchodilator or, like you mentioned, maybe try a higher flow. Um and then they will eventually come and yeah. take your and get to an ICU. And uh, often in ICU, they just might be monitoring them on high flow for a few days, but they just need that closer care or they're mm. a vulnerable kid that was born at 28 weeks and they're only, you know, they might not even be term corrected yet. So they might still be considered not even term. Um, and then, yeah, your extreme would be that this the child sort of worst case becomes intubated, but that's still really rare in Australia now that we have high flow. Something I didn't mention is yeah. in the kids in terms of investigations is we talked about bloods yeah. and BSL. So if they're not feeding dehydrated, always make sure you're doing a BSL. Um, and if you're considering your DDXs and one might be sepsis, you might be getting a urine at the same time yeah. to check that there's not a raging UTI and they're septic mm. and that's actually making them breathe up. So just thinking about our infection sources um, and other DDXs, make sure their BSL is okay. And that yep. maybe children always get dextrose in their fluids, as you would probably know. Mm. Um, adult land where we would just give normal saline, kids always get a little bit of sugar with it. Um, however, their resuscitation fluid is still normal saline. Yep. So. And, we, and resusc- so resuscitation guidelines is generally 10 to 20 mils per kilo in kids. Is that right? Yeah. Still the same? Cool. And that would probably depend on the doctor that's there and how dehydrated they look, 
or how small this kid is. Mm. And then you've got to think about if this kid only weighs four kilos, 10 meals per kilo is just such a small volume. Um, but is. relative, it's quite a lot. So 10 to 20 meals per kilo. Yeah. Cool. Normal saline would be resus. And then you'd go on to normal saline with a bit of dextrose in it depending on their sugar and everything else. And yep. like I said, two-thirds maintenance. So we do our little calculations to work out how much fluid this child would need in 24 hours mm -hmm. and then two-thirds of that, run that through a drip. Epic. Um, and you're going to run us through a few cases, yeah? Yep. Cool. Yep. So, so just to solidify all this and bring it to like life, we're going to run through a few cases. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. First case. So First case, bro. You're going to love the name, Banks. Banks. Yeah, I love it. Who doesn't love Banksy? <laughs> Banks is five months old, comes to ED, and because mum's worried about his breathing, and that's all she sort of gives you. I'm just worried about his breathing. So classic ED, what do you do first? Does this kid need ABCD? What do, they've walked up and you can see the baby. Do they need immediate treatment? Mm -hmm. No, they don't. So then... Peds history. So Peds history is like adult history plus a lot of extras. And I remember I had different acronyms in med school for how to remember the extras. And so obviously we're asking mum all the classic questions of when did the symptoms occur? Um, what are the symptoms? And then um, qualifying obviously all of those symptoms and fevers. So we're working out the fevers. So how did mum take the temperature? Don't do the forehead temperature. We all hate the forehead temperature. Oh, nice. Unreliable. Um, how many fevers and how many days of fevers? If they've had fevers for five days straight, we're considering other diagnoses. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to quantify fevers in pediatrics. And then like I so spoke about before, the ins and outs. So obviously we ask adults a very basic this question, but you need to be really specific about how much fluid's going in and how much fluid's co coming out, yeah. yep. as we highlighted before. Um, and then rashes is such a paediatric thing. Yeah, you love rashes, eh? Need to know about rashes. And then the other very paediatric thing is sleep. So is their sleep being disturbed? Are they sleeping a lot more than normal? Or yep. can they not get to sleep because they're so uncomfortable? And then... Past medical history, but past medical history, you have to include the pregnancy, the birth, yep. straight after the birth. Did they need ICU? Mm -hmm. Were they on something for breathing support? And often parents will know they're on something for breathing, but they're not sure what it was. But it's yes. really important to work out, were they actually intubated and potentially have underlying lung injury because they were tubed for five days? Mm. And a lot of those kids come out of ICU with long-standing respiratory you problems. Should. So making sure you're getting the medical history that includes mum, birth afterwards, and then immunizations. Um, I have seen two vaccine preventable uh, severe illnesses in kids when I've only been in a tertiary pediatric center for this year. Wow. Um, yeah. So make sure we ask about immunizations and have that discussion at mm. the time if we need to. Touchy topic at the moment, but it's a good one to raise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so yes. So all your usual histories plus all these extras. So if we go back to Banks, so Banks has had 
a runny nose for mm-hmm. three days, lucky ass. A little <laughs> bit of popping. He's had some temperatures, but she's done the auxiliary, the under the arm temp. Good yep. mum. Yeah, mum. None of them have been above 38. They've all been 37.8, 37.9. Banks is five months, so he's still breastfeeding, hasn't got yep. onto solids yet. And so for anyone that's not peed, sort of about six months or just under six months is when you start the solids thing. So um, breastfeeding, we're happy. Good. He's breastfeeding and he's breastfeeding every two to three hours. Monthly, a little bit more than normal frequency, but having shorter feeds. Okay. So he can't latch on for as long. A little bit more unsettled than usual. In his past medical history, he was born at term. He was an mm-hmm. elective C-section and he didn't require any special care nursery or ICU okay. after he was born. So they're sort of the important things that we'd want to know. Then we go to examine banks and there's a different ABC for kids for well kids. Yep. So the ABC for well kids is appearance, mm-hmm. breathing and colour and cry. Okay. So appearance is what we've been talking about this whole time. What does this kid look like from the end of the bed, especially before anyone medical or nursing approaches this child to yeah. get a general idea of what they look like? Um, breathing, we will get to, and then colour and cry. So before you get to them, what's their colour? Because as soon as they start crying, they go bright red in the face. Yeah. <laughs> is this child blue or are they white? Um and when they're crying, are they producing tears or are they so dehydrated that they're not producing tears? Does their cry sound fatigued? So the tiny yeah. tots, when they can't cry properly, it just is like almost like a little moan or a little Ooh. and <laughs> not reassuring sign. Yeah. yeah. Um, so looking at that from the end of the bed, then we go to Banks's. Well, have a look at Banks. So he looks alert. He's interactive. He's playing on the iPad. You can see he's babbling to mum that he's got really moist mucous membranes. He's drooling all over Mm -hmm. himself. He's, we look at his obs. So his blood pressure is normal. Make sure you always do a blood pressure on all children. Okay. Um, His respiratory rate's 57. So as I mentioned before, we're sort of around that 60 mark. So 57 is on the higher side of normal, but is still okay. Yep. Heart rate's 180. So again, a little bit on the highest side for him but not we're not freaking out and especially his temperature's 37.5 so maybe that's heading up maybe it's putting his heart rate up and importantly his uh oxygen saturations 95 percent without any oxygen cool and then we examine him his chest has widespread widespread mild creps or crackles throughout that crackly noise um, and it's equal on both sides and on the front. So we're not missing anything there. Yeah, good. Uh, he's got a little bit of work of breathing. We can just see maybe a bit of subcostal recession with his big tummy moving back and forth. Yep. But the remainder of the examination is perfectly normal. So where do you reckon he sits? I reckon Banksy. It's a little bit tacky, but I reckon Banksy might be heading home. Um, but, but I reckon Banksy might need us to watch him for a little bit. Um, just to make sure his heart rate comes down, but I reckon Banksy might be sitting to the mild to moderate, but mild. Yeah. Mild, yeah. Yeah. So heart rate, uh, leave him on the monitor, go sit at your computer, make sure that just trickles back down to 170 when we walk away from him. Yep. Uh, but he's a mild bronc. However, he's day three, so we need to make sure we're explaining to mum mm. all the red flags. And if mum lives three hours away, has no supports, 
looks like she's really uncomfortable with what you're talking about and can't explain what you're saying back to you. Mm. You might ask, oh, I've explained all the red flags. Can you say them back to me? And I'm just making sure that you remember them, even if we give you this fact sheet. And if you've got anything in the back of your head that's thinking something's not right or I'm concerned, bring Banksy in. Cool. But mum lives down the road. Mum's husband's a nurse. And perfect. Great. They take the fact sheet. They know everything. (laughs) He knows all the reasons to return. So they go home and we don't hear from Banks again. Perfect outcome of a mild bronc. Love it. With the heart rate, if the kid's crying in the tacky, do you try and come back to when they're not crying to see what their heart rate is? Because, you know, some yeah. kids cry and it goes through the roof. You're like, bloody hell, it's 220. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> or you just walk near them and they start yeah. screaming. Like, and the yeah. rest rate goes up, the heart rate goes, the blood pressure's up, everything's out. Yeah, okay. Oh, absolutely. And then, like, the with the fever, the fever, the heart rate just creeps up just that little bit to make you uncomfortable and Pete makes you question everything. Yeah, yeah like, I'm not sure. Okay. You've got three other kids you're seeing and you need to sit down and type notes for a bit. You can't even think. So just sit back. And the nurses yeah. will come and tell you when their heart rate's 120 and they're demanding more juice <laughs> and they go home. That's so good. I love it. I like it. Cool. <laughs> I like it. Apple That's juice good. and water. That's a Pete's thing. There you go. Top to toe, we always think about the fluids. <laughs> I like it. Um, next case. Next case. We have Ocean. Who's Gee, I like it. Friend of, from- friend of yours, Miss Ocean. <laughs> Ocean's from Byron Bay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, she's got a belly ring, a nose ring, two earrings. A couple of dreadies already. Only two months old. Amazing. Ocean. Ocean's two months old. And she comes in with dad and yep. dad just said, not been feeding well. Mum's sleeping at home. Kid's not feeding well. He says, she's had two days now where just hasn't been feeding. Her nose is congested and it's all green mucus coming out. Mm-hmm. She's having temps to 38 degrees, but he can't remember how mum's been taking them. Definitely less wet nappies than what they're used to, but can't really quantify, just knows there's less. And today noticed that she was breathing really fast and then maybe stopped breathing for a, a moment, but he wasn't sure. Okay. On her past medical history, she was born at 35 weeks. Um vaginally and needed a special care nursery for breathing and feeding. So it doesn't know the details, but we're thinking 35 weeks. I mean, generally the most of those kids are okay, but she did need special care nursery. Mm. And if you don't know peds, the level of special care nursery in ICU. So special care nursery is not necessarily ICU, but keeping a close eye on. And then NICU or neonatal intensive care is the, the level up from that. Yep. Um, So she needed special care nursery for breathing and feeding. Then when we have a look at her, so her rest rate is 70. So when we spoke before, we sort of think about that 60 marks is 70 high. Mm. Heart rate's 190. So we know that's high. Temp's 37.5. So we can't sort of reassure ourselves that this temp and tachypnea are temperature related. Yeah. And her saturation's at 88% on room air. When we look, we 
undress ocean, she looks tired. So when you look at a two month old to determine whether they're tired, that's when we talk about like a floppy baby or a, a lethargic looking baby. They don't have that nice curled up tone. Mm. Their limbs are open um, and a little bit floppy. So red flags. Um, she looks a bit mottled. So she is, mm. is a pale baby anyway. Dad's pale, but there's a sort of bluish pinkish mottling to her skin. She's got subcostal recession. She's got intercostal recession when we have a look under her onesie. She's got the nasal flaring, the head bob. And when we look at her mouth, it looks pretty dry as well. We do her cap refill. So we press down on her sternum for five seconds and let go. And we get four seconds. Have a listen to her chest and there's widespread creps. And we listen to her heart and there's a systolic murmur. Um... What do you reckon? I'm worried off the bat. Yeah, I'm worried. Uh, Worried, I guess I'm worried about the work of breathing. I'm worried about the apneas. I'm concerned about slightly the background medical history. Um, But I'm worried that the kid has moderate to severe. Well, not, uh, yeah, I'm worried the kid's got pretty bad bronch from my opinion. They're hypoxic, they're tachypanic, and they look mottled, so they're dehydrated, so they're going to need, yeah, I'm, I'm worried that they're all those, yeah, above. Absolutely. So straight away, this kid's getting a resus bed. And I mean, from that history, we can say, yeah, it could be bronch, but she could be septic. Yeah. So um, she, if we're just going down the bronch path, that would be severe bronch for sure. Yep. Um, But we're probably doing the works for this kid anyway. So she looks dry and her heart rate's that high. So she's getting the, the septic work up. Um, so that means that she's going to get bloods. Yep. And she's two months too. Hey, so under three months, we're worried. Yeah. So if we just go back through the red flags for her, so she's a two monther, she's had poor feeding, got dry mucous membranes and poor output. So her dehydration, she's dehydrated. We're worried about the breathing and the apneas, which could be bronch, but it could be numerous other things. So when a, Small child becomes unwell, apneas are a sign of severe disease, whether it's from meningitis, sepsis, or just bronchiolitis. Um, and then, like you mentioned, her vitals, we're, of course, worried about those. And then the things that we talked about on exam, we can obviously see that she's got severe work of breathing, mm. mentioned the capillary refill, and we've also got a systolic murmur. Is that just a red herring, or do we need to be careful with our fluids here? Mm. So she gets a cannula popped in. Yep. She happens to, we happen to get a clean couch urine while we're there. She was good. Gosh, it was so good. She just caught it straight in the cup. One of the amazing nurses that hasn't left her side. <laughs> um, and because we're putting a cannula in, of course, we're doing a gas and we're doing bloods and yep. we're doing blood cultures on that. Whether we do a chest X-ray or not probably depends on the consultant that's on and what her chest findings are, and mm-hmm. does she improve with a little bit of therapy straight away? Um, and then, uh, in terms of doing an LP, a lumbar puncture is part yeah. of our septic workup. Workup probably once she's more stable. So, okay. getting the ABCD first, we're getting a boss. The cannula goes in the bloods, but we're also going to start some antibiotics. antibiotics. What do you go for? And if you don't mind me asking anybody in kids under three months, do you so think kefitaxime. kefitaxime? Yep. You mean, so in a 
adults who always fear of kef trioxone, kids do kefitaxine because um, the kef trioxone, I think it's biliary, it causes like some biliary, not obstruction, but like sludge, it slows down the um, gallbladder. So okay. kefitaxine and then do Benpen or blue clocks. Um, meds for kids is what we use where I work and it quantifies it in their age group because we'll change uh, okay. their age what you're treating for. So yep. a meningitic dose, a sepsis dose. Um, so based on their age, what you're treating them for will yep. give you a different frequency and a different dose. Hence why yeah. I do not remember all of them. Um, but meds for kids is probably the oh, best one to use. use it 50 times a day. Amazing. Um, for this little kid ocean, um, they're getting the antibiotics and the fluid resus that we spoke about. She's, going to get 20 mils per kilo by sounds of how dehydrated she is. Yeah. And we're getting PQ to come down and see her because um, of how unwell she is. And with, mm. for that work of breathing, even if it is sepsis, she's going on high flow nasal oh. prongs. We need to treat that. So giving the high flow nasal prongs, two, per, two liters per kilo, she's getting NG down. Um, and that NG obviously isn't for feeds yet. We'll just degas and then see see how she goes but mm. regardless pick you need to come down if cool. you've got pick you or you're speaking to to nets if she's not improving sort of rather quickly mm. what was her diagnosis so she oh, was just you... a severe bronch oh was she got the got the work so got all the bloods came back white cells are up a little bit yeah um the BBG was surprisingly okay for oh, okay. two months. She was compensating. Um, her lactate was slightly up, was about two, but we did a repeat, went back down, and we suspect it was probably because she was tourniqueted for a long time, extremely difficult access. Okay. Yep. A fluid recess probably helped that lactate come back down. Mm. Chest x-ray wasn't done. LP was done the following day by a fellow, which um, came back as normal. Um, on her NPA, she had RSV, rhino, and adenovirus. Hey. Uh, so three viruses on a tiny bub looked unwell but improved with high flow. So a couple of days of high flow nasal prongs and then weaned off to low flow oxygen, started tolerating feeds and went home a couple of days later in Ocean. So Ocean had a systolic murmur. Um, when she improved the following day and her heart rate came down to 150. It could no longer be heard. GP was mentioned in the letter to the GP to follow up and it wasn't heard again. When it was listened to by a consultant, it sounded like a flow murmur. So just when the heart's going so fast that we can hear the blood rushing through the bub's little heart. So no further follow up, no, no further investigations required. What resources do you go to? What do you recommend um, to people? Like I said at the start, there's so many good resources for peds because they're the kind of people that love writing good notes and policies. So um, Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne will have their own guidelines. They'll also, um, that one in the Sydney Children's Hospital Network have guidelines, but they'll also have the fact sheet for parents that you can easily print off and give to them when they're leaving your ED. The NICE guidelines that a lot of people would have heard of, the UK guidelines, um, 
on bronch, you can look those up quite easily. There is an Australasian bronchiolitis guideline to hey. keep it universal across the whole area. Love it. Um, but the one, the Melbourne one and the Sydney Children's Hospital Network are, are great. Yeah, the only thing I will mention during 2021 is COVID and bronch. So yep. COVID rarely causes bronchiolitis. Um, but they can have COVID plus rhinovirus. As I mentioned, they can have multiple viruses at the same time. So um, even if you think it's a definitely bronchiolitis, they could have COVID as well. So, um, but COVID might not necessarily be causing the bronchiolitis. Okay, like a second diagnosis. And I'm sure that would change how we treat those kids. Could Would it change? Maybe. The treatment wouldn't really change. The... Most, we had a grand rounds last week on COVIDing kids in Australia and the general consensus is that they are doing very well and do well. Yep. Um, and the ward's more dedicated to these kids just having to be in isolation for other illnesses like their bronchiolitis or something else and they happen to have COVID at the same time. I appreciate your time. You are a chill person and I'm meeting you. You're very unassuming and you make people feel no it's cool like you make people feel at home when they work with you um which i've always found um and i've seen you when you've been pretty sick um you know i was lucky enough to sort of walk through the icu a few times when i was sick you know? just you know returning a patient or sending a patient up and then knocking on your window and saying hello um and you know i know our ed is so stoked that you're okay um yeah, so I just sort of want to put out there. We're so appreciative for who you are as a person as well. Yeah, but we're, thanks for coming on, dude. You're a frother. Thanks for having me. Once again, any advice on the EDGM should not be taken over your local medical practitioner. Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody who listens. Um, make sure you follow me on Instagram, um, EDGM underscore podcast. If you listen on iTunes, please leave a review. It just helps um, people to find me. Um, also, to remember that Nikki's story is going to be coming up. Um, in a couple of weeks um, so you'll hear her story um, that we alluded to on this episode um, also coming up um, in future episodes we're going to be chatting about diabetic ketoacidosis in pediatric patients we're talking peds ecgs and we're also going to be talking about um, a pretty hectic shark attack story um, so thank you to everyone who listens um, and that's a wrap you props to my older sister too for always answering my phone calls in relation to podcast ideas I think you can be my executive producer now. You love your hides.